When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Whisper Network. I'm Dr. Nikita T. Hamilton. I'm Dr. Nikita T. Hamilton, and this is the Whisper Network. And today we have music supervisor Rob Lowry with us, and I'm going to read his amazing bio and it goes like this i'm going to read every word he doesn't want me to um rob lowry has music supervised an array of projects including celebrated tv shows the bold type and future man studio fair serenity festival favorites the strange ones already tomorrow in hong kong indie darlings band of robbers about alex critically acclaimed documentaries amanda knox chicken people and cult classics in the making another evil uncle kent too he has also worked on a variety of shorts web series and commercials along with experimenting with the perfect mixtape and tirelessly surveying the local music scene lowry spends his time as an avid coffee drinker amateur surfer and unabashed defender of pop rob welcome to the whisper network thank you for having me i'm very happy to be here yay all right so let's get this fun party started let's do it what does a music supervisor do so uh a music supervisor generally oversees all musical aspects of a production so that ranges from you know working with budgets working with the composer selecting music clearing music um but overall it's 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 a collaborative position because you're working with a lot of different uh people that are part of the production what's it mean to clear music <clears throat> so in order to um to use someone's song there are uh copyrights that you have to get permission to use and then also pay for so oh, money yeah so, <laughs> so um so there's there's two sides without getting into too much boring detail there, <laughs> there's a master and there's publishing so mm -hmm. the publishing is the underlying composition of the song so the actual you know, the notation and the lyrics and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. you have to clear that side of things and then you clear the master recording, which is the actual recording of the song. Mm, all right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So when you were a kid, did you know that your job was a job? That's a good question. And also uh, tell us, like, where are you from? How yeah. did you like, you know? I'm from Philadelphia. Cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I don't think I knew it was a job um, until... Uh, I, when I realized it was a job, I was like, well, that's, that's the job I want to do pretty mm -hmm. much. Uh, I, I, I basically, I skipped school in eighth grade to, uh, go see Almost Famous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, I, I think like when that movie ended during the credits, I was like, holy shit. Like, I don't know what I just saw, but that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I think even then I didn't quite know how to assign what I was feeling to the overall kind of scope of it. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I wanted to be a director and, um, you know, took film classes in high school and middle school and college and was always making things. And I quickly realized that um, everything I was making was basically a silent film that I was able to put music to. <laughs> <laughs> and I You're was like, don't yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, I got like, this. 
I have the song. That's what's going to tell you how to feel. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I think it was just kind of why I think for a lot of supervisors that are around my age, like, uh, the OC was like a big thing because mm-hmm. it was huge with like indie music. And I was like, this is the music I listen to. And, um, that was kind of one of the more visible music supervision projects, I think that kind of brought, uh, independent artists to the forefront of pop culture. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And when I realized that was a job, I was like, you know, I loved movies. I loved music. I, I was never a musician. I was always just like a fan. Mm-hmm. And so it was a way for me to kind of, you know, meld these worlds and mold these worlds and kind of create a new, a new thing. Cool. So like, what was your path to music supervising? The path to music supervision is interesting because I don't think there's really a set way for everyone that's like you know it's mm-hmm. kind of like writing too where it's like it's you not pray. like yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um it's not like a connect the dots type thing mm-hmm. so mine is kind of unique in that i started out as a pa on a talk show and you know i, I kind of piece by piece was figuring out how how in the world do i even figure this out mm-hmm. so my first step was like all right i'm on a talk show it's not what i want to do i need to get into scripted and through friends of friends, I became a writer's PA on Parenthood and Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was in the writer's office. I was like 22 years old. I had no shame. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, this like excited kid being like, I want to be a music supervisor. I want to be a music supervisor, <laughs> which like looking back, I can't believe I did that. Um but I was literally reading people's scripts and like making them mix CDs as like this 22, 23 year old kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was giving music to the editors because the edit bay was there as well. And um, eventually I became Jason Kadam's assistant. Uh, and so I was becoming even closer with the writers and they would ask mm-hmm. me for music and that sort of thing. And eventually one of the editors on Friday Night Lights was doing a independent film during one of our hi- hiatuses. And he introduced me to the director and... You know, there was no money. And looking back, I had no idea what I was doing because of all of the paperwork and clearance and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, but I did the film and it was it was I was thrown into the deep end and I learned everything very quickly because I had to because mm-hmm. this was a, you know, this was a big production and I was responsible for like 30 songs. And it was it was crazy. But, you know, I did it and I learned. And then from there, it was just kind of putting myself out there and networking and meeting producers and writers and Mm -hmm. directors and that sort of thing. Cool. All right. So like what would, you know, that was your path. Is there like a path that you say is a little bit more, I don't know if standard is the right word, but do people, is there like usually. I think the traditional route, uh, if possible, is certainly to get a job under a supervisor. So Mm -hmm. as a coordinator, as an intern, um, you know, that's the one thing I think, I think it helped me in a lot of ways. It also probably hurt me in some ways, but I've never worked for anyone. Like I've never Mm -hmm. worked for a supervisor. So, you know, there's so many standards in terms of paperwork and this sort of stuff that I had, you know, you can't Google it. I (laughs) I had no idea what I was doing and I didn't really have a mentor for the first few years. So it was difficult, but I think if you're coming up the traditional route, it's, it's a little bit easier because you learn, you know, people's processes, Mm -hmm. you, you are able to develop relationships with labels and publishers and and the whole sync community, um, synchronization community, which is, you know, syncing songs into picture and stuff. Um, and, uh, 
And so I think that's the more traditional route. And I think that's kind of how most people end up falling into it is they know they want to do it. They get an internship or they, they, uh, you know, find a coordinator position where you're, where you're assisting a supervisor. So what does the hiring process look like for a music supervisor? Is someone just calling you up? Is it through, like through an agent? Like how does it Yeah. Work? So I got an agent, um, probably two years ago or, or something, uh, <laughs> His name's <laughs> Rob's like, I don't know how I got here. <laughs> People just keep calling me. Yeah, yeah. I had to block a lot of numbers. Um, yeah, my agent is Maxim Karlik at UTA. And mm-hmm. basically UTA was starting up a film music crossover. Mm-hmm. And he had gotten my name from someone as like a young supervisor who was I up and coming, I guess. I hate to like use that. I sound silly. It is but, what it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I hadn't really thought about getting an agent. Um, it never really crossed my mind, but to be honest, it's it's been incredibly helpful just in having an additional resource because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like five years ago. I mean, I, I love movies. I love TV. So I'm very proactive with like what's coming out now, what's coming out in six months. If I mm-hmm. see something that's in development and I'm like, I want to music supervise that. And five years ago, that consisted of me like DMing the director on Twitter and never <laughs> hearing back. <laughs> And now I can hit up Maxim and be like, hey, this is in development. I would love to, you know, if they don't have a supervisor, if there's a connection or whatever. So having him as an added resource has been incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, you know, I, I, again, I'm very proactive um, with reaching out to people with, you know, I've been fortunate that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of directors, showrunners, filmmakers, et cetera, I've been able to work on multiple projects with them. So it's really, I mean, it's so much now about building relationships. I mean, mm-hmm. even at the beginning, you know, if you traced my my jobs, you know, I did this small film and then one of the producers went on to do another film and then one of the producers directed a film. And so, you know, it all kind of, kind of splinters out mm-hmm. and you just hope that you've made enough of a good, you know, positive mark that, that they ask you and bring you mm-hmm. along. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so are there a lot of music supervisors or is it like a pretty small community? Do you like know each other? Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's a pretty small community and it's, and it's even smaller, um, because of how specific it can be. Like there's a lot of, you know, every few months I'll meet a supervisor that I've never even heard of who does exclusively trailers. Mm. So it's pretty, um, it's pretty specific in terms of, you know, there's a trailer community there's a you know advertising community and there's then there's kind of like the film and tv community and even within that there's some people that only do tv or some people that only do film um but there's a guild um so we're connected through that and you know you end up at a lot of the same concerts and that kind of stuff and obviously you have a lot in common everyone it's helpful to have that community to kind of lean upon or, or, you know, share experiences with or look to, uh, for advice and that kind of stuff. So we, we generally know each other, um, around the, so a part, I would assume a part of your job is just being up on like all the music that's coming out. So what does that like entail? Like what does, what does work slash play? And you enjoy doing it, but what does that look like? I do. I mean, it's, I think that's something that the last couple years has, has become, something um that i've really been focusing on because the busier you get the less time you have to listen to music for pleasure Mm -hmm. and as amazing as it is and as much as it's my dream job it it is a job Mm -hmm. and so 
you know, at the moment I'm on five TV shows and three movies and they all have wildly different needs. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to make it a point every week, you know, cause I, I, you know, I meet music supervisors or talk to music supervisors who, you know, they say, you know, I don't, I don't have time to listen to new music anymore. And I get it. It's crazy. But to me, that's, I would be like, why would I do this job if mm -hmm. I wasn't still excited and still seeking out new music? And mm -hmm. that's definitely what fans the passion and the flame and all of that. So I make it a point every, usually every Friday when new releases come out to just spend two to three hours just like listening to music. Mm -hmm. um, because so much of the time you're listening for specific purposes and maybe not discovering stuff on your own, mm -hmm. which to me is why I got into it because I, I loved sharing that and I loved um, you know, exploring and finding these new things and, and, uh, especially with newer music, because when people haven't heard it and you're able to put it to picture or whatever, and you kind of create this unique moment with something that someone hasn't seen before and, and, and heard before in the same time, mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty special. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's a job, uh, and we listen to a lot of music, mm -hmm. um, and it can become overwhelming, even if you're listening to music you love, you know, like sometimes I'll find myself at a cafe and I'll be there for like two hours with my headphones on and I'll look up and realize like I wasn't listening to anything. Yeah. Like I just have the <laughs> headphones on to just block everything else out. Like I just need silence. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So you mentioned like how many projects you're working on, but is that the normal load or are you, are you an overachiever? <laughs> um, it's funny. Cause I feel like your agent is the person who's usually like pushing you to get stuff. And my agent is the one who's like, dude, you have to say no to this shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's something also, I think in the last year or two that I've had to get better at is realizing that I think what makes me good at my job is the amount of passion and attention I'm able to pay to things. Uh -huh. Um, and I tend to get pretty emotionally invested in them. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you're on 10 projects, 15 projects, whatever it is, it's really hard to find the energy, the time to, to really give them the attention that they deserve. Mm -hmm. So eight has been, um, trying it's been mm -hmm. it's been difficult but they're all kind of luckily most of them are in different uh phases you know some are in pre-production some are in post-production some are some are shooting and i'm taking a break and i worked on it in pre-production some of them are just just clearance you know i just did a film and it was um it was all on cameras so it was all performances so mm -hmm. for that i'm just clearing stuff and then they get the post and and you know it's kind of all there mm -hmm. um so I'd say the norm, I'm usually working on an average of like five projects at a time. Okay. So I'm kind of curious about the, you were saying the energy that you have to like put in. So what does the process of even picking songs for something like look like? Or, you know, who's involved? Is it you're talking to, are you talking to the showrunner? Are you talking to the writer? Like, are you just watching and saying, this is how I feel the mm -hmm. music should, like, what does that look like? One of the, I think one of the cool things about music supervision is that, uh, and daunting things is that every project is so different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's been projects where I've been hired on where they're like, Hey, we're locked. This is all the music we want. We just need you to clear it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, cool. And then there's projects where they're like, we literally have no idea what we want. Uh, so you're a hundred percent in, in control of the creative, which is also cool. But you know, most of the time it's somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, sometimes I'll be on a film or a TV show when there's just a script and, and, you know, sharing ideas back and forth with the director, with the showrunner, with the producer. Um, the bulk of it ends up happening when there's an assembly of a cut, whether it's, you know, the editor's cut for a TV show or it's just a rough assembly of a film. Um, from there, we usually do a spotting session, mm -hmm. which is I'll sit down with the showrunner, the editor, the music editor, the composer, producer, and, you know, I'll basically, we'll run through the episode or the movie, and I'm basically running points saying, okay, stop here, we're going to have music here, this is what it's going to be, it's going to be score, it's going to be source. And then, oh, you want to, like, describe what all that is? Oh, yeah, is? Sorry, yeah sorry, sorry. I like to be like, this is the ABCs yeah. no, of that's, your job. Yeah. That's good. So, <laughs> score is... Um, Score is original music that the composer is going to create specifically for the program. And then source music is the music that, uh, you know, the pre-existing music, the pop song, the mm -hmm. rock, whatever that I'm going to find and then end up licensing. Mm -hmm. So the spotting session is um, basically going through the entire show or movie or whatever and, and deciding, you know, where I'm going to find something, where we're going to have the composer create something, what that sound's going to be like. Um, you know, maybe pointing towards references, talking about the instrumental palette, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then the same thing if we're using a source song, you know, what, what kind of tone are we going for? What are we trying to say with the scene? Is it going to be, you know, buried in the background just for texture? Is it going to be featured? Are we going to do a montage? Um, so the spotting session is really instrumental in digging out kind of, you know, what, what is music as a character within this film or mm -hmm. TV show? Yeah, cool. And so um, can you describe what the montages are like and around the horn, like what those mean mm -hmm. and what that means for like the music, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's like main point of reference is like the, in like the pop culture zeitgeist is like the Grey's Anatomy montage, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's iconic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's what we all aspire to. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, a, a general, I, I think like generally speaking, you know, in, in a, you know, 42 minute drama, there's five acts or six acts and, you know, act five or act six towards the end of the show, there's usually some sort of, of montage where mm -hmm. you're kind of wrapping up each character's storyline for the episode. And so, you know, that's always like the playground for music supervisors <laughs> because you're like, all right, this is my moment. You know, this is, you're stepping up to the plate and you're like, let's make these motherfuckers cry. You know? <laughs> like if I don't have goosebumps, like you got to do the goosebump test. Like if okay. I don't have goosebumps, we're replacing it. You know? Cause you know, sometimes people are like, um, yeah, I like it. It's okay. And it's like, well, no, we don't want it to be okay. Like, yeah. I, we want this to be great. The feels. Yeah. You, you need to have the feels. You gotta have the feels. That's, that's the key. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, there's obviously different shows have different amounts of music. You know, mm -hmm. some shows have that I work on have maybe one song an episode or two songs an episode. The Bold Type, for instance, has like anywhere between like 10 and 20 <laughs> songs an episode. What? <laughs> we have a lot of music on the Bold Type? <laughs> but, you know, but it, it's funny. I had this conversation with a friend because um, you look at shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad that are so fantastic and the music... Uh, supervision and the music in general is so good and it's so powerful because there's so little of it mm -hmm. and, and because you know sound is so important and and when that one uh, needle drop 
hits, you know, when that one song hits, you know, you're like, oh, oh shit. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard, you know, and it, it really, but I think bold type is cool because it's just a completely different palette and the music on the show is its own character. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it has its own personality. Um, and I think that's, I mean, I, I love working. I think that's part of what makes it really special. And we're able to use a lot of um, source music as score, which some people refer to uh, not very creatively as scores. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> You're like, that's totally going to catch on. <laughs> what? And, uh, and, and that's really fun. Uh, and using pop music in a way... Um, to kind of like recontextualize it. Like, sure, you've heard Selena Gomez uh, hands to myself a million times, but you really haven't seen it in a show or a movie. And like, you haven't seen it like edited and layered in a way that kind of builds the scene, mm -hmm. which I think we're able to do a lot with bold type. And that's also a huge credit to uh, Mikhail Sandgren, our music editor, who's mm -hmm. just like amazing. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I always see like Mikhail will be there with his like keyboard, and I'm like, I don't know what that man's doing, but yeah. I know it's magic. No, magic, magic Mick. <laughs> yeah, magic Mick. Oh, <laughs> uh, cool. So, do you feel like you've been observing kind of music supervisors coming a little bit more to the forefront? Like, I think of like Insecure, where they were like, we have Raphael Sadiq and like Solange doing art. Like, do you think this is like this new kind of movement or moment of the music? coming to the forefront a little bit more for like certain kinds of shows like you have in Atlanta you have like like we're yeah. like it's like oh let's talk about the music mm -hmm. and that's a, it is a character it's a part of the reason why I'm sitting here I just want to see what yeah, yeah. this music's going to be yeah yeah and I think it's amazing um I think there's also some issues that come along with it um as anything does when it starts to kind of reach this growth that it didn't really have before mm -hmm. um it's definitely coming to the forefront. I think there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, one is kind of like the streaming age where mm -hmm. like, you know, people don't listen to radio as much anymore. And in a way, you know, people are discovering songs from their favorite shows. It's, it's, I don't want to say music supervisors are like A&R people because that's not, that's not what it is, but there is something to a song being featured on an Apple ad and that, becoming the number one song mm -hmm. on the charts or whatever and the mm -hmm. same and then and, and you know billboard now tracks um you know like how many shazams and streams streams a song gets after insecure errors or bold mm. or whatever um so it's cool and ex it's exciting um you know i think the one issue with it is you know when you say this so-and-so celebrity is going to music supervise this they're not. And that's, and that's, I mean, that's <laughs> the like, problem. It's a lie. Well, the, the, the issue is like the misconception of, of music supervision, mm -hmm. which I, we could write a book on, which Wait, is. Wait, tell, what's the, what's the Dr. Seuss version of this book? Of the, uh, <laughs> now I have to think of a rhyme. <laughs> the, the misconception of music supervision in, in a, in a thesis statement is just that like someone has good taste in music mm -hmm. and. I mean, it just couldn't be further from the truth. One, because taste is subjective mm -hmm. and your taste isn't always going into whatever program that you're working on. And two, because, you know, 60 to 70 percent of the job is paperwork and <laughs> dealing with politics mm -hmm. and and managing expectations and, 
you know, listening to 20 people talk about their favorite song of all time that they <laughs> want in this scene mm. that you then have to find whatever the median is between all of these varying opinions mm-hmm. from the studio and the network and the editor and the director. And, you know, it's, it's just like, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of managing expectations. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're a liaison to a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people don't understand what it is and mm-hmm. they don't what, you know, why can't we have that song for $150? It's free, it's free publicity. And it's not, it's not, no one's going to, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, there, there's a misconception about, um, people thinking that they deserve like someone else's art for free. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other issue with supervision is that you're working, you're straddling this line and working two sides where, you know, you want to do everything you can to get the director, the showrunner, their song uh, and they think it's your job to get it for cheap, but at the same time, you have relationships with bands and labels and publishers. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about mediating this and figuring out, okay, what can I do to make sure that both sides feel like they got a fair deal and they were treated mm-hmm. appropriately? Because as much as, as you know, you want to save the production money, you know, I, I don't want to ever want a band or a record label or whatever to feel like I'm not valuing their art properly. Mm-hmm. And if they feel like they need a certain amount of money and we can't give it to them, I'm, you know, you can try and negotiate, but I'm not going to get angry with them or, mm-hmm. or jeopardize my relationship with them uh, for the sake of, of not having enough money. Because, yeah. you know, there are bottom lines. So. Right. So it's kind of like you guys are like the mediators of yeah uh, like, yeah I mean a lot of our job is is negotiating mm-hmm. and and uh, you know ultimately like we're fulfilling someone else's vision you know we can help create that vision and we can we can uh, you know tell people what our vision is but at the end I mean Amanda showrunner for the Bolt Type yeah. we had a big disagreement about yeah. a song recently <laughs> and uh, and you know at the end of the day I told her I was like dude, this is, this is your show. Mm -hmm. Like you have final say, like I will argue with you (laughs) as long as you want. But like at the end of the day, I'm not going to convince you otherwise because I'm fulfilling your vision and -hmm. and what you want is the right answer because it's your show. Yeah. And so it's kind of, uh, I I like what you were saying kind of about the fact that you're just, you're dealing with like so many levels. And I think oftentimes people don't realize all of the cooks who are in the kitchen when it comes to a show or like to a film. Um, and I, I like that what you were saying about like you're fulfilling someone's vision and it's, it sounds like sometimes someone knows exactly what that vision is, but sometimes you're kind of having to, to help that vision come to. So it's like, is it for some people they're like, I, I know these songs, but other times you just literally being like, here are piles of songs. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple different, uh, and you make a good point. Like we are sometimes also a translator, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not a musician, um, but I've been around composers and musicians enough that I can speak the language a little mm-hmm. bit. And it also helps that I'm not a musician because I speak to it on a more emotional level rather than saying, you should be playing a G chord there because yeah. that's not what the composer wants to hear. We hired them <laughs> for their perspective. I can tell him how I want to feel mm-hmm. and he can interpret that in what he's creating rather than me being like, you know, play these notes. <laughs> um, and And yeah, so I mean, sometimes you have showrunners who you know you have to give them a hundred different options and then they'll be able to pick and they'll be able to know or you know they can say i like this this and this and you say okay this is how i interpret that Mm -hmm. um 
and I mean, it's really, it's a very collaborative position. Mm. And, um, you know, there, you just, there's a lot of conversations, there's a lot of dialogues and, and I think there's a lot of, I think constructive criticism is incredibly helpful because from, from all parts, like we have amazing editors on, on bold type and Mm -hmm. my other shows where they love music and, you know, the more people who care about it, the better it's going to end up being. Mm -hmm. So definitely. So if there was one piece of advice that you could give to yourself at the beginning of this career journey that you learned essentially along the way, what would it be? Um, Oh man, so many lessons (laughs) that I'm still learning (laughs) and will continue to learn. Um, How can I put this? I think that, um, I think that too many people in this industry, well, here, let me start here. So there's, this is going to sound very strange, but we'll get to where we're going. (laughs) So there's this guy, George Mumford, and he is the, he was the meditation teacher for the Chicago Bulls during like their, you know, historic run. And now he, um, uh, works with the Warriors, Golden State Warriors, because Steve Kerr is the coach and Steve Kerr worked with him with the Bulls. So he said something to the team and this is like always stuck with me. You know, he was always, he, he told them you're not competing against other people. You're just competing within yourself. And I think that that's a good lesson to live by just across the board. But I also think, especially in this industry, because I think that, I think that it's, uh, when you remove other people from the equation, all you're left with is things that you have control over for the most part within yourself. And I think people too often can get very easily discouraged by comparing themselves to others and, you know, where they're at in this timeline of I should be here or I should be here or, you know, why is that person getting the job and I'm not getting the job? And more often than not, it has nothing to do with you. You know, the other person is a different fit doesn't mean they're necessarily a better fit or a worse fit or whatever. It's just a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, within this industry, there's so much ego. And when you remove that from, from yourself and from the equation and just like, just one, this sounds cheesy in, in terms of like being yourself, but, but really just like the only potential you can fulfill is your own. So, doing everything you can, you know, trying to get an internship, uh, you know, and, and really it's a passion career. Mm -hmm. So you should want to learn about it. And, and learning is a huge part of it because you need to know a lot about copyrights. You need to know a lot about, um, just clearances in general. You need to be able to work with a team and, you know, shedding the ego is huge in that because it's a very collaborative field and there's really no room for it in in any situation. Um, and ultimately, yeah, I think that and I think that goes a long way, too, because I know there's this this, uh, you know, thing of like, you know, to make it in Hollywood, you have to be, you know, a shark. You have to, you know, you smell, you know, cutthroat, all this stuff. And I have found like quite the opposite. Like, mm-hmm. I think the more the more open you are, the more kind you are. Like if you're a hardworking person and you're passionate and you're easy to gel with, like people are going to like working with you. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I've gotten to the point too where, 
you know, my goal in like one sentence is just like, I just want to work on like cool shit with people I like. Mm -hmm. And I've been so fortunate in that the majority, you know, I've worked on, I don't know, probably 50 or 60 movies, you know, 10 TV shows or some, something around there. And it's like, I've only, I've had less than five like bad experiences. That's great. And so I think, you know, I, I think it's true that you really do attract people with similar energies Mm -hmm. and yeah i just i just think you know be hardworking and be passionate and and just find a way to do it you know like everyone always asks what like the hardest part was about getting into all of this and honestly it was just getting on the plane like leaving philly Mm -hmm. like that was the hardest thing i've ever done and but like once you're on the plane you're fucking going to la like you land and then you just got to figure it out Mm-hmm. And that's, there's no other option. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to do something else. So I mm-hmm. just, you know, not having a backup plan, I think, is a good lesson, too. <laughs> because, it kind of forces you. Yeah, your yeah. back's against the wall and you're like, uh, you know. And and there's there's also, like, no shame whatsoever in, like, bartending while you're making your record or, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, I think that's another horrible thing that, that has come to light, especially recently, too, where, like, I don't know people like like want to shame people for having like a day job while they pursue their passions and that's just like such it's such bullshit like yeah, it's, that's ridiculous yeah i also like having three to four jobs at the same time yeah well no <laughs> and no and and truth and truthfully as a music yeah <laughs> and and even as a music supervisor having all of these different jobs that do different things challenge you in different ways mm-hmm. and make your brain work in different ways mm-hmm. and you know, truthfully, I've only been doing supervision on my own full time for maybe three or four years. Mm-hmm. Like I've had, you know, I was a writer's PA and then I was, a you know, like assistant associate producer or something at like a studio in a music house where we were doing like original music for commercials. Mm-hmm. But like you just use and I was music supervising at night and it's like you just, you know, you just find a way. Mm-hmm. So, cool. yeah. All right, so more fun questions. Okay. <laughs> uh, what? I'll, uh, you've worked on so many things that I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna give you three options. Okay. <laughs> but what have been your top three projects to work on? Oh gosh, that's such a tough question. <laughs> fun um, but tough. Fun but tough. I mean, I will say, and I'm not just saying this. Like bold type has been a dream project mm-hmm. in many ways. Um, from you know, from working with Sarah in season one and then Amanda in two and three, like the the community of the show is so fantastic and so supportive. Everyone is so nice. Everyone is so passionate about what they do. Everyone cares so much, mm-hmm. which is so cool because it is cool to care. <laughs> and, you know, even like I remember, man, I remember like, Katie and Megan and Asia like like writing me on Instagram when they saw the pilot or whatever, just talking about how much they love the music. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that is so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, like I've, you know, from the the sound guys to the editors to to everyone, it's just such a supportive, warm experience. And I've also loved it because I've seen firsthand what representation and what discussing social issues that go beyond the actual narrative of the show 
mm-hmm. can do to people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, whether you're like live tweeting during an episode or whatever, like, like these stories have such a serious impact on people, positive impact, and have have um, uh, started so many conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure you feel this way. You know, sometimes I'm like, with the state of the world, I'm like, man, what the fuck am I doing? Like, <laughs> I'm, you know, I hate to boil it down, but it's like I'm putting music in a television show. Yeah. And to see the way people respond to this show in particular, and even like, you know, even like my parents, who are both like very open-minded, kind liberals, mm-hmm. like they don't see this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Every day where they live in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Mm-hmm. They don't see two women of color in a relationship, one who's Muslim. Like, mm-hmm. they, that just doesn't exist. So right. for them to see that and be like, oh, this is this is cool. I didn't know what this is. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what a drastic impact that is having on people that feel represented by that. But also people who haven't seen that and now have a deeper understanding or a more specific and correct understanding yeah. of, of what that means yeah i think sometimes it's and it's true like there'll be times i'm like okay i came home from work and i looked at like dailies of a show and like what what's my impact on the world really but when you have those moments and you get to see where these conversations go right because sometimes even i think writers will be like i didn't get to put everything in or like this thing got cut out and like i don't know what they're this conversation and really delving in the way like I wanted it to happen didn't get to happen mm-hmm. and then you see what the audience does with it yeah and they're they're gonna have these conversations and that you can be a part of them and that it's really impacting people and like I have friends who even before I got on the show but like especially now are watching and it, it's also interesting to me the things that they'll like pick up on right like Sutton and negotiating for better bent like the Absolutely. job right these yeah. are things we're really dealing with but I have friends who are like I've never had a boss like Jacqueline Carlisle. Where are the yeah, <laughs> no, bosses it's, like it's true. mentor mentorship and like these different desires that people have in workplaces and then, um, you know, these social relationships. And it's like, we're working for the show that's like helping spark those things. But I think sometimes when you're looking just at the day to day, you don't feel the impact of it, yeah. but then you get to see like where those things go. And um, I think now we're doing our duty because we're giving people the space to escape. Mm-hmm what's happening yeah, sometimes yeah. in reality and still have these conversations and like think about them, but they don't have to be in the real world yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that's, that is a service, but you have to kind of, it, it doesn't feel like it all the time, yeah. you know? And I think it's escapism in a way, but I think it's the type of show that also stays with you and resonates. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also, I mean, uh, it's crazy. Like, like Jacqueline, like at the end of the pilot turning out to be like, a good boss Mm -hmm. like people thought that was like an m night Shyamalan type twist (laughs) like people were fucking shocked like they're like holy shit she's a good boss she's a kind person like the fact that people were that surprised tells you about the world yes it's so crazy (laughs) but i think you're right like and speaking to like writers feeling like they didn't get to finish the conversation or whatever i think that's i think it's just as important if not more important to start the conversation and then let other people mm-hmm. dive in rather than rather than necessarily like you don't you don't have to wrap necessarily it up and... wrap exactly mm-hmm. exactly all right so you told me one project <laughs> one project <laughs> <laughs> oh man three projects you i only can't, have two more i can't even think of like oh my god i can't even think of shit that i'm like working on right now <laughs> um i will say 
I'm going to narrow this down a bit. I'm going to talk about a couple projects I'm working on right now that I'm loving (laughs) because otherwise I can't even wrap my head around it. Um, I'm working on a show on Hulu from A24 Mm -hmm. called Rami. Mm -hmm. And it does a similar thing where it's about, you know, just this like normal, like late 20s. Oh, is this Rami Youssef's show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Rami. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, yeah. So it's Rami's show. It's, it's, he's this normal guy living life, but he also, you know, happens to be Muslim. And Mm -hmm. like, so it's, 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 you know, when we were meeting one of the first times, he basically was like pitching it as like, you know, people just think I'm like some like hipster dude, like which he is, Mm -hmm. but he's also like, but like, and they think it's fucking weird that I believe in God. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's just, I don't want to tell his own stories for him because, but, um, but, uh, I, I love that show because it does everything in such a, it's got a unique perspective. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's how we live, but it's got this extra filter on it through how he sees the world Mm -hmm. and how he's, you know, experiences it and, and what this means to be, you know, I mean, he's a totally normal guy. And the fact that, that, that people think it's strange or, or that it's, that it's, he's an outlier because of his religious, it's just, it's, it's mind bending. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but I'm, I'm really loving that show. And then, uh, another show, I used to do a show called man seeking woman on Mm -hmm. FX and Simon who created that. We have a new show called miracle workers Mm -hmm. and it's like a heaven workplace comedy, uh, where Daniel Radcliffe plays this like low level angel whose job it is is to perform minor miracles Mm -hmm. so he'll like you know he'll spend a few hours like melting every single snowflake bit by bit so that someone's keys are revealed after they've been like please god (laughs) let me find my car keys uh because you can't like break the laws of physics so he's just and then and then um Steve Buscemi plays God, who's like kind of going through like a midlife crisis, a mid a midlife crisis. How many years in is he? He's basically just he's basically like bored with Earth and is kind of like yeah, I'm kind of done with Earth, and the angels have to convince him to save Earth. So those are my three. I mean, I'm working on a couple other really great things. Those are taking up the majority of my time, and they're all right. No, those sound really really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Two more questions. Okay. <laughs> um, it like you were saying, you skipped school in eighth grade, so mm. see, almost famous. So I'm sure that's on the list. But like, what would be your like top three? You wish you had been the music supervisor, like on those projects. Oh, that's a good question. Well, it's interesting because I think that, um, huh? I love. Okay, so I love like coming of age films mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like my favorite genre <laughs> so i love coming of age films and i love um like rom-coms mm-hmm. <laughs> so i'm the the first thing that popped i mean but but here's the thing like i would not have changed anything about almost famous you know yeah. it's like so you just um, wish you'd been the one to pick the up yeah exactly okay. exactly and and even the ones i love you know it's not necessarily like i would want to change it but just maybe the story i felt connected to or you know i'm a huge uh richard linklater fan so like boyhood would have mm-hmm. been um great oh i will say you know what you know what movie 
that I really wish I would have music supervised is Beyond the Lights. Oh, really? <laughs> have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. That's like <laughs> that's like one of my all-time favorite films. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And and the dream, like, did all the original songs for oh. it and stuff. And I love him. Yeah. That would have been I mean, I love R and B. That would have been like mm. that would have been a dream project. Um and yeah, maybe High Fidelity. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think like High Fidelity. <laughs> Almost famous and beyond the lights. <laughs> I that is quite that is quite the pick. I just think I, I'm most amused that Beyond the Lights is in there. What is that? Beyond the lights oh. part, like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll have a whole separate rom com conversation after this. Yeah, because I think Notting Hill <laughs> might be in there too. <laughs> oh, amazing! All right, final question, and I I don't I don't know if I'm asking you like the most difficult question because you listen to so much music. Uh-oh. What is your favorite song? Oh my god! Of all time, yes. Uh, I was thinking about this recently, and it's the only reason I have an answer. But I think it might be Joni Mitchell "Case of You." Oh, I think that might be it. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> so What's your much. favorite song? My favorite song, "Iris" by the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> I was thinking about that song last <laughs> night, and what a great karaoke song that is. It's an amazing yeah, song. I love that that's song. That's so random, but that's a great. You know. Were you like a City of Angels? City just tore me apart. I don't know why people get on bikes. <laughs> like, I'm like, really? Like, every time I see someone on a bike, I'm like, this is going to end so did bad. Did you not see City of Angels? I was this like, City of Angels? Life. Did you not see One Day? Did you ever see One Day? I, I didn't, but I know what happens. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, women on bikes. <laughs> Bad combination. Not, Bad combination. Don't, don't be in love and a woman on a bike. <laughs> You could be not in love and you'll you'll be fine. Rule, but as soon as you're live, in love, rules still live by. And you get on the bike. So <laughs> fair, fair. Um, yeah, but that Google Dolls Iris. I listened to it this morning actually. That's a you I know, mean it's a great heart, Saturday heart, morning. Heart strength. <laughs> you just wake up. It was it was cold train and the Google Dolls for me this morning. Wow. Um, good yeah. combination. Yeah. But thank you so much thank you for, for coming me. on the show yeah. and talking to us and Anytime. yeah, that's the Whisper Network. Thanks for joining. The Whisper Network is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. Our producer is Amy Westervelt. Our theme music is by David Whited. This episode was recorded at Forward Studios in Los Angeles, and our sound engineer was Matthew Nelson. You can find The Whisper Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review the podcast. We'd love to know what you think. Plus, it helps us find new listeners. Thanks for listening.